1: Welcome to the New Books Network uh, and this podcast channel of Christian Studies. Uh, I'm Justin McGeary. I am one of the hosts of this channel. Today, we will be talking about the book, Transatlantic Religion, uh, Europe, America, and the Making of Modern Christianity, published by Brill Press. Uh, A fascinating, wide-ranging group of essays that focuses on the 19th century connections between Europe and America that aims to show how these transatlantic exchanges played a crucial and substantially unexplored role in the shaping of American religious life. Uh, Religious historian, Mark Knoll, uh, in the foreword, says that this book demonstrates better than any other single volume to date, how very important for the history of Christianity in the United States, those connections, links, and relationships between America and Europe have been. And today with me are the editors, Annette Aubert and Zachary Purvis. So Annette and Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Yes, yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to our conversation together. Uh, I think the book is really interesting. And before we actually dive into the book, maybe um, you could just share a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, a little bit about your background. Uh, Annette, would you kick us off? Sure.
0: I'm a historian of religion and lecturer at a graduate school in Philadelphia. My academic specialty is 19th century Protestant transatlantic religion, and my book entitled The German Roots of 19th Century American Theology was published by Oxford University Press, and I previously served as a fellow at the Craig Center, My research interests range from intellectual history and historical and transatlantic studies to American and German religious studies.
1: Yeah, thank you. Zach, how about yourself?
2: Yeah, I uh, teach uh, mostly church history at uh, Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Had a a few different appointments before this. I was at the University of Edinburgh um, and and also the University of Göttingen, um, University of Wisconsin-Madison. So sort of like the characters in in the book, um, have felt the transatlantic uh, experience acutely. Um, I work mostly, uh, similar to Annette, on... Um, sort of history of, of theology in, in the modern period in the 19th century, uh, but also do some Reformation studies and sort of the reception of the Reformation traditions.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, yeah, both of your volumes are are very interesting um, and well with the read. Um, and being that you're both kind of not only scholars of the transatlantic um Kind of historical approach as well as uh, living it. Uh, maybe that's where we could kick things off. So, how is this the approach uh, to transatlantic religion different from previous histories uh, of American religion, as far as the context uh, f- for thinking about American religion? Where do you see your current this current volume uh, fitting?
0: Yeah, even though nineteenth-century cross-border connections were Common standard histories of American religion have generally been limited to national contexts, specifically the importance of religion-to-nation building and American religious exceptionalism. A smaller number of works explored transatlantic religious relationships in terms of German influences we are the Lutheran and Moravian churches, Pietism and the Transatlantic Culture of Revivalism. So the number of books emphasizing this narrow approach in 19th century American religious history has resulted in a tendency toward highlighting frontier upheavals, westward expansion and the influence of Anglo-Atlantic relations, which in turn emphasizes the culture of revivalism and specific philosophies such as common sense realism. Such studies have often overlooked that beginning in the revolutionary period and continuing throughout the 19th century, American religious figures were infrequent in an ongoing dialogue with Europeans. As our book shows, Americans borrowed many European ideas, and thanks to the many travelers and immigrants who moved between European countries and the US, there emerged a transatlantic movement of ideas. So what happened this narrow approach means that many important aspects of regarding the creation of American religion have been overlooked or underemphasized. And two factors are particularly striking the first associated with the challenges of reading different languages such as German, Dutch, Danish, French, and Italian. And the second is the perception of American exceptionalism that emphasized separation from European geography, ideology, politics, and lifestyles during the 18th and 19th centuries.
1: Yeah, so, um, uh, Zach, is there anything you would add to where the volume particularly fits?
2: Uh, well, I think there's a yeah very full, uh, excellent answer um, by Annette that I, that I would second heartily. Um, also, I think that, uh, you know, as how we thought about the volume and, and put it together, we were keen of, of bigger um, sort of paradigm shifts going on in historiography. And uh, one of those is certainly the international turn uh, moving beyond just national borders. Um, and so I'm sure we'll get into in, in more detail, um, the, the different approaches that, that we discuss in terms of entangled history and, and cultural transfer and those sorts of things. But we were keen to, um, to find a, a lens, a transatlantic lens, as, as we've put it, um, in the book that takes account of those different realities, the different sort of connections that, um, a diverse group of uh, American thinkers and institutions and peoples and so on and so forth uh, had with uh, Europeans across the board. And so um, I'd say just that international perspective is also something that um, we were keen to imbue the book with and that I think makes it um, stand out in some respect.
0: Yeah. I would like to add something about uh, entangled history, which is an important aspect as transatlantic history emerged as a discipline based on the observation that developments in Europe and North America were closely entangled. Therefore, any profound understanding requires an assessment of a common story. Our book uses an entangled history approach that is considered an essential concept in transcultural relationship studies. Entangled history invites reassessments of relationships among various societies and cultures. Critical assessments of older historical approaches to comparative history encourage scholars to develop an alternative referred to as entangled or connected history. Entangled history traces connections between ideas and individuals who move across national boundaries in other words, it emphasizes the interconnectedness of societies as its fundamental point of departure. Its core principle is that individual nations cannot function as a singular units of historiography because they exert they, their effects through interaction and dialogue. Our book in particular focuses on the transatlantic history premise that emphasizes the consideration of networks, and agent connections.
1: Yeah, and so you break the book essentially into two parts, uh, education and the establishment of new networks, and then um, different uh, developments, and it seems to me uh, developments theological, cultural, political, um, and it seems to me that kind of the entangled nature actually makes it somewhat hard at times to... uh, um, uh, organize, I guess. Um, but, um, maybe you could just explain how you, how you organize the project. Uh you, you break it into these two parts? Uh, how did that come about? Was it challenging? Um, cause there's a lot of overlap of figures and, uh, people and ideas throughout.
2: Sure. Um, no, I, th- I think you're right. In, in one sense, um, it's good to admit that uh, those categories are, are maybe um, arbitrary is perhaps too strong, but um, you're right that figures like uh, Philip Schaaf and, and many others sort of freely, wildly transgress these tidy little divisions, uh, and they do reappear um, in different chapters. Um, or just looking at the book again, I see we have a, 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 a great chapter by by Mike Shea on um, Anglophone sort of missionary initiatives uh, towards Roman Catholics and Anglicans um, in Rome. Uh, and that appears in the second half of the book on sort of theological, cultural, political developments. It could very well have um, been placed in the first half. So uh, these seem to be prominent... Um, categories that arose from the material uh, as we looked at um, uh, the experience of sort of 19th century religious history and, and also the particular aims and, um, and theses that, that appeared in, in the chapters that we received from our uh, contributors. Uh, but I think it does point to the prominence of, of these networks and this sort of entangled approach that really is the foundation for so many of the other developments that do take place. Um, and, uh, I think it, it also, um, is helpful to, to, spotlight as it were, um, some of these, um, I think it's helpful to, to spotlight some of these networks that do appear in the first half of the book. So the rise of um, uh, new forms of communication, new forms of travel, which aided um, the building of new institutions, um, personal contacts uh, on a formal and informal basis. And all of these things I think have a, a very uh, important part to play in these more particular uh, doctrinal or cultural or, or theological slash political questions that um, appear in the second half of the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's maybe um, y- there's a few prominent figures that r- recur, uh, especially August Tolik and uh, Philip Schaff, uh, a number of times, as well as a few others, um, maybe less prominently than those two. Um, but Annette, maybe you could say something about those two. Uh, what do they reveal, kind of, about the transatlantic world and the American religious life?
0: Yeah, August Tollock uh, was an important uh, German Protestant biblical scholar. He was associated with the Awakening movement to influence the transatlantic religious world. He was uh, profoundly influencing also the revival of evangelical learning and academic learning in opposition to Enlightenment rationalism in Germany. He had an important influence on 19th century American religious history. I think the most direct and important exchanges and influence between Americans and Tolok occurred at the University of Halle, where Tolok welcomed many international students. Toller considered his American students with more than ordinary interest and was in the habit of calling a number of those his special pets. So he was especially close to American students like Edward Robinson and Charles Hodge. Many of his American students became key members of a transatlantic network who translated some of his work into English and who advocated biblical literature in America so what happened among American evangelical scholars they relied on Tolok as a guide for critical scholarship a review of the American Protestant literature of the time shows that Tolok became for Americans a trusted and expert guide for understanding difficult German religious developments and in particular what was known as the rationalistic controversy. His influence was not only thanks to his scholarly skills, but also his success as a mediating figure, for he attempted to create a balance between traditional Protestantism and modern science in a post-Enlightenment context. In particular, we can see that a pragmatic trend of the American mind, similar to Active piety forged a natural bridge between Americans and Tolok. And besides that, Tolok appealed to Americans from different religious backgrounds. He became, as is seen in our book, an intellectual mentor to Lutherans, Baptists, Congregationalists, and even Unitarians. So his positive reception among such a large and mixed group is best explained his pietistically oriented mediating approach.
1: Yeah, it, and um, you, you see that come out in David Conline's uh, article over whether uh, Tulloch was a universalist. You see all these Americans uh, fighting over whether Tulloch was on their side. And such an interesting, uh, shows kind of his incredible uh, prominence.
0: Yeah, it sounds out that Tolok became an intellectual hero to quite a diverse group of Americans who could draw on his different views.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what about Schaff? I mean, he's he's another he shows up in a few essays and, of course, maybe is one of the most well-known figures uh, from the whole volume to an American uh, audience um, of religious history in particular.
0: The immigrant scholar Philip Schaaf was an important transatlantic figure who made uh, significant contributions to American religious studies. He was born in Switzerland and studied in Germany and moved to America in 1844, but maintained close ties with his European peers and communicated regularly with his German professors. As a faculty member at a reformed seminary in Mercersburg and later at Union Seminary in New York, he acted as a bridge builder between German and American ideas. When he arrived in the U.S., very few seminary curriculums offered classes in the same way as in German universities. Schaff was surprised to learn that the outdated church history text written by Johann Mosheim this served as a primary textbook in American seminaries. This motivated him to promote several ideas that were being debated in German universities at the time, and he encouraged serious church history scholarship in the same way that that he was trained in Germany and became a mentor to American researchers. Our book treats him as an exceptional, influential transatlantic figure.
1: Yeah. And, um, Elizabeth Clark's, uh, article showing Schaff's relationship with the, uh, American Arthur, uh, McGifford, uh, in a mentoring relationship, I think really draws out, um, uh, quite well Schaff sending an American over to study in Europe and then, uh, kind of guiding him through that world and helping him, uh, then come back to the United States and, um, have quite a significant influence himself as a church history scholar. Um, Yeah. And one of the other articles that was quite interesting was Shay's Michael Shea's article, um, which points, he spends a bit of time on the importance of kind of the informal uh, networks. Um, Is there something we could say about some of the other figures, other networks that appear in these, uh, these essays? Uh, Zach, perhaps, would you want to tackle that?
2: Uh, Sure. I think, um, yeah, Mike's essay, Mike Shays, that that you mentioned um, that we've referred to here on sort of missionary activities uh, in in Rome is is very dense. And so it's it's somewhat hard to um, discuss all the names that that he mentions. But I think he does bring a very helpful approach, um, one that um, he's picking up on things that other scholars have done um, in regard to the Oxford movement. So this movement that arises um, from Oxford in some sense uh, in the first third or so, the 1830s and thereabouts. within the Church of England, uh, but to look at the, the, the fact that there really were Oxford movements, plural. Um, and so it's not just one figure. And, and so he brings this um, maybe more differentiated approach uh, to some of those discussions um, as he talks about missionary initiatives, uh, which I think sheds sheds new light um, on, on that terrain. And another sort of... Um, network we might say or or relationship or something um that that's been recast in the volume um is also someone like george bancroft um bancroft uh was this um decorated harvard historian and politician and uh one picture has sort of emerged uh, um when scholars uh, look at what he said he was up to when he went abroad uh to europe um in particular to, to Germany to study uh, when he wrote back uh, as to what he was up to um, to his Harvard uh, betters. But but maybe another picture emerges when one looks, uh, as Paul Carey did in, in his chapter in the book, um, uh, at Bancroft's journal entries and lecture notes and and other sort of student material that he produced and generated um and so the two uh, portraits don't always line up, and so I think it's one really interesting case where looking at new sources uh, sheds, in some ways, significant new light uh, on our view of uh, and, and understanding of, of somebody like Bancroft or some of these other important uh, figures.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that the the picture that is provided by a number of these essays is how well uh, connected these a number of these f- uh, figures are um, that are often kind of treated either in isolation or just within their own national boundaries. Um, and, and so, one of the things that you note in the book is how often um, really much of American religious historiography has been limited to to America. Uh, as far as um, focusing on, um, you know, usually the the frontier, or um, sometimes if there is the connection back to Europe, it's usually in the Anglo American connection. Maybe could we could you say a little bit about some of the other countries that emerged? What are some of the connections? Um, Germany is quite prominent, but you also have chapters that show connections back with. Uh, the Netherlands, with Denmark, with uh, France. Annette, would you want to hit on a few of those countries, and Zach, maybe you as well?
0: Yeah, I would like to start, actually, with Germany. Uh, German historians were particularly interested in exploring the German education system's influence on America, all the way from nursery schools to universities. For example, Jürgen Herbst's pioneering research shows how the German concept of Wissenschaft-shaped American higher education. Despite all this research into Germany's influence, few scholars have engaged with academic and religious networks between 19th century European and American Protestant and Catholic figures. So the question is, why Germany and not Oxford? Leading 19th century evangelical academics in the U.S. understood their shortcomings in scientific work in several disciplines, and therefore welcomed the texts and ideas coming out of German universities for use as models for their own biblical scholarship, as well as for research into church history and dogmatics. American professors became heavily reliant on German texts, and by 1825, fluency in the German language was a requirement for doing academic work in the U.S. Many American students viewed attendance at a German university as indispensable for their academic vocations. Therefore, German divinity studies became very influential in American universities and seminaries. As our book shows, there are some other countries that play an important role. Maybe Sack can say something about the other countries.
2: Sure. um... Yeah, I think uh, some other sort of relationships that, that are uncovered and discussed in the book um, include, uh, well, in one of the final chapters, uh, Timothy's chapter on, on France and the U.S. offers an intriguing look at, um, in one sense, the, the narrow question of establishment or disestablishment uh, of the church vis-a-vis the state, but really is a much kind of broader look at, at how to conceive church-state relations. Um, so he uncovers all kinds of interesting material looking at uh, conversations that, that were had between uh, various French theologians at the beginning of the 20th century um, with this landmark 1905 uh, law uh, codifying a separation of church and state in France. Um, with uh various uh, theologians and and church figures in america uh and and sort of the the french theologians often looked at the united states as, as something as a, a test case for thinking about um the separation of church and state and what that would do to uh politics but also to the religious vitality we might say of of the state um And so he traces correspondence and and other um, um, means of communication between figures like uh, Cardinal Gibbons in in Baltimore and and, uh, the French Protestant theologian uh, Paul Sabatier um, in Paris. Uh, another sort of connection that is sometimes commented upon but still perhaps there's more uh, work to do there is, is uh, Denmark and the United States uh, of course there's um, various immigration patterns to, to discuss but in the chapter by uh, Lee Barrett uh, he he goes to great length to discuss um, the reception of a figure like Hans Lassen Martinson, uh, an important Danish theologian in the 19th century, among um, what's sometimes called the Mercersburg School of Theology. Um, if figures like like Schaff and, and others there in Mercersburg um, read someone like Martinson uh, in German translation, uh, not in Danish, but nevertheless. Um, that represents uh, an important influence, sort of mediating forms of Hegelian uh, philosophy to them and um, got them into various uh, controversies along the way. Um, Annette is is well placed to, to talk about some of those particular things, having worked on figures like Immanuel Gerhardt um, and others. But I think the, the interesting thing is that it's not just a um, sort of... English or Scottish uh, connection um, that holds across the Atlantic uh, with the United States, but that there are a uh, host of other countries that, that uh, belong in this important conversation, sort of uh, states in, in Scandinavia, but also Europe proper, Germany, France, and and elsewhere, um, which together provide, uh, I think, a, a more accurate um, description of, of how these, um, theological developments and, and networks that we've been discussing, how they arise and, and what they accomplish.
1: Yeah. And even, um, you know, one of the things that comes out in Elizabeth Clark's article, just focusing on the American, uh, Arthur McGifford is how much he travels, um, Europe, um, himself. Um, spending times in the different libraries, and then he'll ultimately come back, uh, having really traveled quite extensively. Um, you know, and then the process, so to speak, continues. Um, now, one of the other things that you note in the book is that so often American religious history focuses on Protestantism, um, and that your volume kind of does try to provide some maybe correction or counterbalance to that by looking at transatlantic Catholicism. Um, is there something you'd like to, you'd like to say there's a few articles that um, hit on this. Um, the the article by um, Charlotte Hansen on Lord John Acton, um, Michael Shea's article, which we've already mentioned. Uh, and uh, Zach, you have mentioned the article by uh, Timothy Verhoeven. Is, is there anything else as far as transatlantic Catholicism that, you'd like to make mention of?
2: Sure. I think, um, we don't want to in any way sort of deny the, the real tremendous value that, um, there is in so many of the, uh, sort of single confessional histories we might say, uh, in the sense of a, a Protestant story about, uh, a denomination or a movement or, or something like that in, in the United States in the modern period. Um, but what we we're keen to do is to broaden the picture somewhat uh, to say that in some cases interesting things might be learned when we we take kind of a multi-confessional approach so if we had room to do a bigger book uh we might have been able to to include other uh voices and and traditions as well but um it's interesting to see that uh something can be learned from the kind of transatlantic catholic perspective uh when thinking about protestant history and vice versa i mean the the chapter um on the 1905 French law shows that I think rather well that here are these um, conversations that are are happening across confessional boundaries in, in many regards and so um, I think historians sometimes have to be careful not to artificially impose uh, confessional boundaries on the historical material certainly there is room to to, uh, look at confessional perspectives. Um, but we should also be sensitive to, um, broader discussions that might've been taking place in, in the period, uh, under view.
1: I, I think that, uh, yeah, there's a, a number of ways that, uh, and, and, uh, you know, in, in Michael, is it Michael's, No, it's uh, Verhoven's article. He shows that there's also even conversation happening across the denominational lines as well so it, it's definitely i think kind of a rich picture now one of the other things that is you mentioned is um sources um how how do you find the historians in this volume are looking at sources either differently or new sources what sort of things are they where are they going that's also kind of maybe enhancing the picture that we have of both transatlantic history as well as american religion
0: The book references a large number of previously unexamined print and non-print materials. These new sources, especially those located in historical archives, support an understanding of new concepts regarding transatlantic influences in the development of religious studies in America. They also help clarify the influences of ecumenical religious journalism, academic religious mentoring, changes in scientific investigations, and institutional goals.
2: Yeah, I just um, I think that's uh, that's exactly right. Just uh, maybe a couple of examples that that are interesting um, as well to think about. We mentioned, for instance, um, Paul Carey's chapter on, on Bancroft is sort of one of the first to actually dig into uh, the Bancroft papers and look at lecture notes, whereas other scholars had often simply relied on uh, correspondence, um, which is already an improvement from past scholarship that sometimes uh, settled only for uh, published records. Um, Some other interesting cases, another one that, Justin, you mentioned uh, a moment ago was Liz Clark's chapter on, on the mentoring relationship between Schaff and, and McGifford. Um, we're very grateful for, uh, for Liz's contribution. Um, I think it was one of the last uh, pieces that, that she wrote um, before her sad death. Uh, so we're very excited that that's in, in the volume and it just stands out as a monument to her tremendous uh, work as a scholar. Uh, but uncovering this rich um, correspondence between Schaff and, and McGiffert through um, really a remarkable amount of archival study that she did, um, uh, which is a recurring theme in here. I think good history is, uh, is really written from the archives, and, and I think all of our contributors bear that out richly.
1: Yeah, yeah. What, as you were editing this volume, I'm just curious as to, both of you have tended to, your, your own work has focused particularly on the transatlantic connection between America and Germany, but as you were editing this volume, um, what was in your own sense, what, what emerged, what kind of picture did you feel like uh, your own understanding of this approach to history, uh, what happened in the editing of the volume for you?
0: Yeah, bringing together the various chapters revealed that there were different influences at work shaping American religion during the 19th century. And it clearly revealed that more research needs to be done.
2: Yeah, I, I think that I would also just echo um, what Annette has said, that uh, this certainly is not the final word, but I think it's um, an important um first or second word on the topic, that what really became clear to us and to me working on the project um, was these different streams of influence. Um, and I think uh, Hartmut Lehmann, who, who contributed a, a wonderful epilogue uh, to the end of the volume, uh, nudges that conversation forward in an important way, suggesting uh, future itineraries um, for, for this conversation to take. Uh, he talks about sort of pluralization needs to be an important factor, globalization, uh, secularization, um, each of these three, um, concepts is, is really critical and really do emerge in the volume, but so much more, uh, could be done to show this, this rich and diverse and differentiated, um, picture that emerges, um, so, uh, just for example, uh, globalization. We, uh, I think, um, we're able to establish uh, this in, the importance of a, a strong and uh, dynamic transatlantic connection between, um, as past scholars have said, the old world and the new, uh, and done that in a number of interesting ways. Um, But one of the things that would be helpful and intriguing to do going forward would be to even broaden that picture um, to say that it's it's um, it needs to be extended to to actors in other parts of the world as well. So just as uh, the U.S. is not only in conversation with with Europe and vice versa, they're in conversation with other figures elsewhere. And so those. Uh, discussions might play a prominent role um, even in revising our transatlantic picture. um, And of course, in the picture of of 19th century American religious history also. Um, So I I think what emerges uh, is really this, this picture of of a remarkable number of of influences, things that we haven't always paid careful attention to um, things like new magazines that arise or new newspaper movements, as, as Andrew Close discusses, or um, how steam travel really did make it possible for so many uh, students to go abroad and study and return and bring with them all sorts of ideas and um, experiences. And, and so bringing all those things together into a, a more sort of um, uh, multicolored picture, I suppose, one that's not just black, white, or gray, uh, is, is really something that, that we learned from this project.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a wonderful book. I think that the, um, the, the, the narrative, uh, in the different chapters is great. There's, uh, you know, some methodological considerations. There's there's a lot here um, in this volume. So uh, thank you very much for your work on this. Um, we have uh, taken a good bit of your time and uh, I guess I'd just be curious, um, do you have a current project or upcoming projects that we can be looking for, Annette and then Zach maybe?
0: Yeah, I'm continuing my work on the topic of transatlantic ac- academic relationships
2: uh yeah thanks for that justin uh i've been working on a project that uh shifts gears slightly although it, it does connect in some ways which is on sort of the the long-term reception uh, of philip melanchthon so thinking about um reformation history in, in central germany and uh the first half and uh, middle years of the 16th century but um there are various publishing endeavors that arise, uh, reprinting his works and so on and so forth in the modern period that uh, connect with some of the figures discussed in our volume. Um, so that's what I'm up to.
1: Well, I I, uh, I definitely look forward to seeing more of your work uh, in the upcoming future. And thank you so much for giving us some of your time. It was a pleasure talking with you.
0: Thank you very much to
1: Thank you. It's a great
2: pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you. It has been a great pleasure to be here.